0: On today's new podcast, we're talking with Tommy Short about how we can think better to perform better. My name is Jake Thompson, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and this is the Compete Everyday Podcast, a show designed to encourage and equip you with the tools to build a winning mindset so you can build your winning life text podcast to 972-945-9113 to join our Morning Motivation Club and visit competeeveryday.com for past podcast episodes and to learn more about our resources and gear for ambitious people who are ready to start winning. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to the show, Competitor Nation. Jake here, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and I am excited to welcome to today's show Tommy Short of Think Better, Perform Better. Tommy and I discussed his career as a referee. We talk about lessons learned as a ref about how do you deal with people yelling at you? How do you not take feedback personally? How do you learn to build the confidence and silence the imposter syndrome when you're stepping into arenas where you feel you're far below or you just don't compare to the people in those same spaces. We dive into a lot of things about the power of self-belief, of self-talk, and of just doing the work and betting on yourself. So there's a ton of great information in today's show with Tommy. I think you're going to enjoy, you're going to get a lot out of. Before we dive into the show, I want to remind you to get connected with the show. Shoot me an email to podcast at competeveryday.com. And if you want to join our Morning Motivation Club, all you got to do is text the word podcast to 972-945-9113. That's word podcast to 972-945-9113. And the best way to support the show is to use that same code podcast and head on over to competeeveryday.com and pick up one of the new styles from our fall drop or our glow in the dark Halloween release until my last beat. That's right, Compete Every Day, all I've got for everyone. I love everything I want until that final heartbeat stops. So if you want to grab that new glow-in-the-dark tee, it is a limited edition print. We only have 200 available and they are going quickly now as they released on October 1st and we are just a few days past that. So head on over to CompeteEveryDay.com, support the show, and use the code podcast to save yourself 15% off. Now, let's dive into this week's show with Tommy Short. Tommy, welcome to the Compete Everyday podcast.
1: Thanks, Jake. Happy to be here. I'm excited to dive in.
0: Yeah, looking forward to today's conversation. Uh, You've got a pretty interesting journey that I wasn't quite aware of when we first connected uh, because I started following along your work online. someone mutual. We've gotten, we've got quite a few friends in common in the online world and in mental performance space, which is how I learned of your work. Uh, and then as I got to learning, I was like, Hey, I really want to have a conversation with you. And then when we were getting ready for the show, I'm seeing these pictures in a referee uniform. And then we talked a little bit off air and you talked about it as well. So before we dive into what you're doing today, Take yep. me back into career life as a referee. What made you go that route?
1: Yeah, so it started actually with me being a jerk in sixth grade, and what I mean by that is uh, I, I hold the uh, title. I haven't verified this, but I'm pretty confident that no other sixth grader in America had more technical fouls than me. I was a hot head. I was in my own head. Right, the things we help clients with today, but. The, the thing that really changed for me, Jake, was there was a couple of referees and it was no one in particular, but the, I always appreciated the referees who were human and would talk to me. Right, I didn't always agree with what they said. I didn't always uh, want to hear it at the time, but I appreciated that they took the time. You know, they were firm but fair. And I said, you know, one day this this would be pretty cool uh, to to put the shirt on. At, look, I'm five, nine. 170 pounds dripping away. I knew the NBA was from a player standpoint was never in the cards. So I said, this has got to be the the coolest way to stay involved. Fast forward. Um, like we talked about before the show, success leaves clues, anything that you're looking to do today, there's a pretty good chance that someone's done it in some form or fashion. I started asking a lot of questions. How do I get to the, to the highest level? Um, whether that's division one, whether that's NBA, and I'm sure we'll, we'll get into the, that journey a little bit, but, um, yeah, I just, I wanted to stay connected to the game. And for me, that was the easiest way um, to stay connected was, was through officiating.
0: So uh, how did you even get started? It's one of those careers. I think a lot of people look at and think like, where do you even go? Like, is there a ref college? Like what what do you, how do you even get started on the, the path of being the person that most people in the audience always love to yell and boo and just call names at, uh, And then otherwise they don't have a clue you're even on the court.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I would say that's probably the best from an officiating standpoint when you leave a game and, and no one knows or even remembers like who were were the refs tonight and you didn't end up on sports center because of a missed call. That's a win-win. You know, I'm 19 years old. I had finished my freshman year at Dayton, moved home and had some family friends who were high school referees and said, Hey, how do I get started with this? Um, High school, there's, Uh, you mentioned like certification, maybe there's a a rules test that you have to take, but for college and NBA, it's, it's all evaluation in an, in an on-court interview, if you will, there's no test you have to take. Uh, There's, there's nothing like that, but there's a a pretty extensive um, interview on-court interview process. And so started doing little kids games, Jake, I remember uh, I'd be 19 years old. I spend 12 hours straight in a gym refereeing, you know, Fifth and sixth grade games, making seventeen dollars cash back in two thousand six, and thinking, "Does life get any better than this?" <laughs> uh, and then fast forward two years ago, when, or a year and a half ago, when I came off the court, and the the amount of money I say it's the best six figure hobby that anyone can have. You're traveling all over the country, running up and down a court, and you're getting paid to do it. Um, now, there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that come along with it. Um, if anyone is a, a basketball fan out there, I'm sure you've yelled at uh, my colleagues or myself probably at, at some point in time, uh, but it comes with it. And I often, uh, as I look back on my journey, Jake, I, I tell people it was a PhD in human behavior, right? Because I had to learn rejection, how to have tough conversations in the moment, um, how to become decisive, how to control the conversation in my head and move from a bystander to an active participant, right? A lot of times we're telling ourselves or listening to the stories in our head, but we don't control the narrative. So when I was able to make that shift in my own head, it, light bulbs went off. When I moved from wanting coaches to like me to wanting to be respected, light bulb moment, you know, trajectory change. Um, so there was little things like that along the way, but success leaves clues, start asking questions and you'd be surprised how many people would be, will be willing to, uh, to help you.
0: So I want to talk about a few of those things before we dive into what you're doing now, mainly because I believe they tie together. But when I think about a, a rough, I think about somebody like a Bob Huggins or Bobby Knight or mm-hmm. somebody at Coach K in your ear, sure. yelling at you, berating you about a call that they think you should have made. My first question is how do you learn to not take the verbal personally And the second question is, how do you learn to take the verbal cue and reset and focus into what you're doing versus allowing it to get in your head and you be, well, did I make the wrong call or do I need to make, you know, what's the next call? Do I need to be generous to them? Did I mess that up? And and then you're out of the moment. You're completely gone from what you need to do in that moment. So first question, how do you, how'd you learn to take the feedback impersonally would be a better phrase. And second one, How do you make sure that you are always staying in the moment instead of allowing that internal dialogue after a coach yells at you to get you off track?
1: Great question. So maybe if I can back up to provide a little context to yeah. both of those questions, I'm 20 years old and doing an AAU tournament close to home. And th- that's a, a follow-up episode in and of itself is the <laughs> AAU basketball. But um, my partner was getting into it with fans and coaches. And it was almost like an out-of-body experience where I step back and I'm like, this doesn't end well, right? Like there's nothing good that's going to come out of it. And I always had that replaying in my head as I prepared for each season. And like that moment always stuck with me. I was so grateful as I look back on it, that that happened when I was 20. So I had an unfair advantage, if you will, because that really set the stage of telling myself, I don't want to be in that situation because nothing good comes from it. So let's transition into your first question, not taking it personally. When I was able to go, when I was able to separate the who from the do, it really made a switch in my craft. And what I mean by that is 99% of the time when a coach was yelling at me, it was at the striped shirt. It wasn't at Tommy Short, the ref. Now I didn't always understand that or appreciate that. But when I was able to separate who I was from what I was doing everything changed. How did, how did you do
0: that? I'm, I'm always fascinated how, how you do that because I think even now for a lot of us listening, whether we're in sales, whether we're, you know, marathon or CrossFitter, like we still tie so much into what we do with who we are when instead it's a much healthier relationship when we separate.
1: The, the short answer is failure. I saw what wasn't working. Right. And when I was attaching my self-worth to either how I did in a game or how the coaches interacted with me. Because look, at the end of the day, like if we really like break it down, they don't care what, how I approach the situation or how I respond. They they really want two things. They want you to be consistent. They want you to get calls, right? And if that becomes your sole focus, then everything else is noise, literally and figuratively, like get calls, right? Be able to communicate and be approachable. Right. And so by failing and realizing like, Hey, I don't need to have the last word that because that's human nature and human nature is also when you start to realize Jake, right. As you know, we're looking for the path of least resistance. Yep. Well, you had mentioned a couple of coaches, Huggins and coach K if I'm trying to skate and, and avoid them, that's not going to end well either. Yeah. So you have to be able to come at them and be confident, which again, whole nother topic there, but you have to be confident in that you know what you're doing, but also have the humility to tell them Now you can't say this more than once, maybe twice a game, Jake, I missed it, right? Have have the uh, authenticity, have the humility to walk up to someone in that situation and say, Jake, I missed it. So I had to fail a lot and understand that it wasn't personal. And then I also, one other thing, and I think this will help some of your listeners in sales too. It was a conversation that I had one time with Brad Stevens because I was frustrated. Why are coaches always getting upset? And then two things happened. I realized I don't control how they respond. I can only control my response. But two, I started talking to Brad. I'm like, Brad, help me understand your world. Help me understand everything. And he went through a list of what they do on a daily basis, what they do on a weekly basis. And I understood they're away from their families. They're recruiting 14 to 18 year olds. They're babysitting 18 to 22 year olds throughout their week. They have to manage their other coaches to scout and recruit, do other things. They've got to answer to their athletic director and their president. They have to answer to media obligations and whoever the apparel company is. Now, when I understand all of that, right? And then when they blow up in a game over a missed call, that was the catalyst for the explosion. They're not really mad at me. And so when you take that into sales and you understand your prospect, maybe they've gotten three or four really bad cold calls. And now you just happen to be number five. It has nothing to do with Jake as a salesperson. It's the accumulation of BS going on in their day. And maybe they've got seven things on their plate, right? And they've got a boss that they're answering to. So when you really understand the person's world and what they're going through, and this goes into the empathy part and understand what they're dealing with, then you can take a step back and take a deep breath. And you're like, oh, I see Jake's, you know, got this, this, this thing going on. And you can have a different conversation. So that's how I learned to not take it personal. The second part was stay in the moment, right? How I started down this whole journey of myself in officiating, is because I got frustrated with inconsist- inconsistent performances. And I was frustrated that some nights, my mind, I use the analogy of a snow globe. And I tell my clients now, like, settle the snow globe, right? if you have a snow globe and you set it on a desk and it's sitting there for like 20 minutes, right? No snow's moving and you can see right through. Take that snow globe and shake it. That was most nights on the court for me. And it was frustrating. I'm like, I want to get more nights where it's more clear. For those two hours, how do I get the clarity? And so I trial and error, working with some sports psychologists of my own, but I came up with two things. One, having a visual mental reset. So for me, it was the top left corner of a shot clock. So if I had a missed call or something happened with my partners, having the awareness that I need to get my partners and bring them back in the present moment. And then two, I I needed to have a verbal phrase that allowed me to snap out of it because high performance can only happen in the present moment. So if I'm thinking about previous calls that I've missed or future calls that I might miss, I'm done because when you're in your head, you're dead. And so for me, it was so what now what good calls and bad because I wanted to bring myself back to the present because after you make a good call, tough call. It's easy to start going down this like, oh, you got that. And I self talk's important, but I got to stay in the present. So, so looking up at the shot clock, so what now what? Bring me right back to the present. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say for staying in the moment during the media timeouts, we often had anywhere from if it was on TV, two and a half minutes, that might not seem like a long time, but go stand in the middle of a court with 15,000 people screaming and yelling at you. And tell me how what that internal conversation's going like so for me and i use this now in my coaching practice, I tell people look up and read the banners. And what I what that did for me is I would look up and physically start reading banners in these arenas because I wasn't thinking about anything else. I had to focus on something so mundane that I couldn't do anything else but be in the present moment. So you could do that when you walk into Starbucks, put your phone away, start reading the menu, start noticing people around you. That's a way to become more mindful and in, in the present moment. So obviously that was easier at some schools than others because some schools really didn't have a, a ton of banners. We won't get into that discussion. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. How do you stay in the present moment? You how to build these little, little rituals and, and systems in place of staying present. And for me, look up and read the banners was one of those. So
0: uh, what I'm curious about now is what made you or inspired you to start making the transition to the work you are doing now in the mental performance space?
1: Yeah. So, uh, I know you're a big fan of stories, so this seems like the appropriate time to, uh, to share a story, and and for your listeners, I'll, I'll show you, Jake, because we're looking at each other, but your listeners won't be able to see this. So, I tried out. I got invited to try out for the NBA. Uh, gosh, almost probably ten years ago now, and this will give you context of why I got into what I'm doing. So, I, roughly 26 when I get invited, started or maybe finished my first year in Division One. So. I'm I'm pretty cocky. I'm like, there's no way I'm not getting a into this. A twenty the NBA. year old cocky? Yeah, Never. come on Speaking now. Speaking
0: from a recovering <laughs> uh, twenty year old myself, yeah.
1: Yeah, and so I went into this interview, and it's a it's a three day, two day, three day interview. It's on the court. They're looking at everything from the moment you walk in till you leave. How how you carry yourself, how you interact with everyone, and so obviously I'm sitting here talking to you today, and that dream wasn't realized, and that's okay. But as I look back, there were two things that happened to me that I told myself, never again. And whatever I do, but then I realized I want to help others fight those. And the two things were self-limiting beliefs and preparation. Two things in my control that I did not control in that situation. So I now ask people, what's your 86? And for me, 86 was the, the jersey number that I got, and I carry this with me every single day of my life. It doesn't, my wife's like, you know, isn't that bringing up the past? No, it reminds me of what I control moving into the future. And so I always ask people, what's your 86? Because whether you're in sales or whatever you do for a living, we have all these commitments and quotas from other people and other people want to hold us accountable. But accountability is a one-way street and it starts with yourself. And if you're not willing to hold yourself accountable, no one else can hold you accountable. And if you don't have your own personal standards, like we were talking about before the show, you're gonna let your feelings dictate your actions. And there's gonna be days when you don't feel like doing something. But when when you develop a personal standard, standards don't give a damn about your feelings. Yep. They're gonna they're gonna help you operate regardless of external factors. So for me, and and that was a long-winded answer, but that's what I wanted to help people doing. And I got into officiating because I I saw the things that I would gather for myself. Uh, and, and then it switched as I matured. How do I help people with everything that I was doing and officiating? Because th- there's so many correlations in both sports and business, but in life as well, that I learned on the basketball court. And I tell people often, I got a PhD in, in human behavior and development from how to handle rejection and slumps and uh, critical conversations and how to be decisive, how to have the self-awareness, how to be a great partner and a teammate. I had to learn all of that on the court. And it took a lot of hard work. But now I want to, I took that from officiating and I've since stepped off the court into what I'm doing now. And that's really at the core of what I do. It's my personal standard coming up with a personal philosophy, which I know, uh, as you know, Pete Carroll is a big fan of. So having things like that, that is standard operating procedure, right? And often I find even with clients that I coach and others, we've never taken the time to define what our personal standard is, but I can promise you it's a game changer because you start to act not when you feel like it, but whatever your personal standard is going to dictate. So that's really why I got into coaching. That's why I'm so uh, fired up about this it, because it comes from an internal place of not wanting people wherever their tryout is, right? It doesn't have to be with the NBA. It could be a job interview, whatever it is. And in life, I want to help people not go through the same experiences that I went through. And so that's why I got into what I'm doing now.
0: So let me ask, who, who were your mentors? Who, who did you go seek out when you, when you saw this opportunity and said, this is the path I want to start exploring to help others overcome self-limiting beliefs, a lack of preparation, things that are within their control? How can I help them change their mindset around that? Who was your first call or who was the first person you went to go say, I want to learn from them?
1: I don't know if I ever told him this, but Colin Henderson, and this was kind of before I knew I wanted to coach. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how,
0: okay. So that dots just clicked. That's how we just clicked. So Colin actually just interviewed uh, last week as we're recording this today on September 7th. His episode airs tomorrow. Okay. So that's how it's Colin shared, must have shared your stuff or y'all had a conversation which is how I first learned about you. I was like, I know we have a mutual friend.
1: There you go. So it was probably a year and a half or so ago and reached out to Colin more as just, hey, I really like, like everything he's saying is stuff I did on the court and really resonated. And there was a lot of other people throughout my officiating career, whether it was a sports psychologist, other mentors, other referees, but I always knew everything I was doing on the court translates into business and life. Um, So really it was a conversation uh, after hearing Colin's podcast, I think of, and not even knowing Jake, but I think it was a seed he planted, maybe not even intentionally, but I'm like, man, I started to realize like, this is something I can do for a living. And again, success leaves clues. And I'm like, and then it was kind of a slow burn inside of me. And then I finally realized like, yep, this is what I'm supposed to be doing.
0: I love it. I love it. Okay. So, so talk to me a little bit because it's easy to go from, okay, I want to make the decision inspired to now I'm actually doing it. Mm-hmm. What were those first steps like for you? Where, where did you start learning? Obviously you had a lot of learning in the game of life, a game of mm-hmm. experience, but to continue to build it one, how did you start just going after identifying who are the best people to work with? And mm-hmm. then really saying, how do I, want to live because the entrepreneur life, as we know, is as much about the lifestyle we want to create as much as the work that we do.
1: Yeah. Um, I think the first thing Jake, for me was going all in and betting on myself. Um, when I left my previous employer, I hadn't fully committed, uh, to, to doing this. It was, it was starting to creep up and I kept having these, you know, inner conversations. And then it really, I guess, to back up to, I've always since mid twenties, even after the, the cocky 20 year old I was describing earlier, I've always believed in having a personal coach. I've always had one for business. Um, not really a life coach, but I've always had a business coach because I always had a sales career um, in conjunction with my officiating career. So I've always believed in the power of coaching and how it can help bring out the better version of yourself. So I, I didn't need to be sold on that. I knew the value of that. Um, and so I, I left and I just remember thinking like, there's never going to be a perfect time, right? Do I have this all figured out? No, but if I sit here and just ruminate in my own head and try to come up with the perfect thing and I just stopped myself because what helped me was looking back at the very first game I went to as an 18-year-old and was watching in the stands, but knowing I wanted to be a referee. And I constantly remind myself of that moment. And then to the moment of when I worked my last game and the the paradigm and the shift from that first game as an 18-year-old witnessing referee and not knowing a damn thing about what I was doing to when I walked off the court. And I'm like, I'm a little bit ahead of right now in my my entrepreneurial journey than the 18 year old nowhere near when I walked off the court at 35. But I, I just remember thinking like, I'm never going to have the perfect time, like a workout or a, you know, workout, new workout plan, new diet, whatever it is. And then I think the second part, which was really kind of like, okay, if you needed reassurance or, you know, a sign from God, I, I had five different sales teams reach out to me. And this was in the period of not announcing it, but I had left. I had five sales teams and a couple of individuals reach out to me and said, the sales teams said, Hey, can you come speak to my sales team? Again, had not put it out in the world that this is what I wanted to do. And I had a couple of individuals that reached out to me and said, Hey, would you ever consider like one-on-one coaching? And I'm like, okay. If I needed a sign or if I needed reassurance, I, I got it right here. Right. Like now let's go. And so I think those those first small wins certainly helped. Um, Having uh, a mentor and coach along the way certainly gave me the reassurance that I know that coaches help, coaches work, um, and so that's that's really. And, and you know, I, I often use the saying "burn the boats," right? Go all in. I don't have another. My my wife doesn't work. We've got two girls under two. I've no got pressure. I've got no other no option. Pressure. There's no plan B. Yeah. Someone asked me once, like, "What's your what's your back?" It was like an officiating, like, "What's your backup plan?" I was like, "I don't have one. I don't believe in them." Because as soon as you give yourself an option of another route, you're just telling yourself subconsciously, huh, eh, I don't really believe in myself or plan A. So to me, there's no there's no second option.
0: I love it. I love it. So before we wrap up today, there's something that you hit on earlier that I think ties very well into this and the belief, the burn the boats, the belief, you know, our self-belief and the belief in what we want to achieve and who we want to become. A lot of that we're reinforced through our experience, getting reps through our self-talk. There's a ton of that. Talk to me a little bit from a ref standpoint and, and maybe mix in now your perspective as a coach, how you handled not being overly intimidated when you stepped on the court with star players, you mentioned yourself, you're five, nine, there's guys six, seven, six, eight, huge beast on the court. How you handled not being intimidated, because I think the feeling of stepping onto the court, looking at these people that tower over you from an athletic standpoint, some of them probably screamed at you, uh, back talk, you know, being intimidated in that arena is probably not much different than somebody that's starting a new career, walking into a room, talking to their first client. They're intimidated, too, because everything that's going on in their head you know, I'm not qualified. I, you know, I, this person's so much better, bigger, more experienced. What if they find me out? The imposter syndrome stuff that we deal with as well that, that ties into that lack of confidence. How did you handle that on the court? And now, as a coach, how do you help people at least start to shift that internal dialogue and belief around confidence?
1: So, I'll, I'll, great question, because I, I, I think this is paramount to everything that we do. And I'll share, uh, a quick story. I know you're a fan, as am I. Um, and then I'll tie it back into uh, beliefs. So 2012 was the first time that I started working with our men's Olympic team. And normally, and in, in, even in college and in pros, there's never interaction between players and referees. It's very like two separate things, as it should be. Let me make that very clear. With USA Basketball and and FIBA, we can ref exhibition games, practices, tryouts, but you can never officiate your home country in a sanctioned tournament. So the Olympics, World Championships, all these international tournaments. So 2012 was the first time I started working with our men's Olympic team, um, and there is some interaction with the players and and to let. A, your,
0: I was gonna say it's a little bit different rule set than the NBA. The game and the FIBA is played yeah. just a little bit differently for those listening.
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, great, great point there. So there is a little more, I'm not not saying we hang out with the players, but there is more interaction at practice and we're around them all the time. And this was really what was a light bulb moment for me. And I'll preface with, don't put athletes or prospects on a pedestal. And this will tie into my story. So we're sitting in the locker room and for your listeners out there who might be basketball fans, uh, the 2012 team was... The second best basketball team that will ever um, put together as a Kobe, country. Kobe,
0: LeBron. So starting Carmelo.
1: five, yeah, starting five: Kobe, LeBron, Carmelo, Tyson, Chandler, Chris Paul. The second five, okay, second five. This is when they're all teammates in OKC: Durant, Westbrook, Harden, Darren Williams. Blake Griffin gets hurt, so they bring in some guy you might have heard of him, Anthony Davis, who just got drafted number one overall, and then the two guys off the, or the, you know, 11 and 12 man were Kevin Love and Andre Iguodala.
0: And this is coach K too.
1: That was coach K. coach K. So this, this outside of 1992, this is the best basketball yep. team our country will ever see. And so after practice and people always ask me, what was the toughest game you ever had? It was a three hour practice. My yep. first time ever. Uh, and, and that's, a, those are stories for another day. I said
0: the Olympic practice sessions
1: are the, unbelievable. the legends. It's unbelievable. I mean, I, we could do a whole episode on that one practice, but so after the practice, you know, three hour tough, mentally exhausting, physically exhausting practice and players got some individual work in. We're downstairs in the locker room at George Washington eating lunch. And I remember we're sitting there and they're all the play. It's like Kobe, Kevin, love LeBron, myself, one of the other officials. There's like six or seven of us in this room and me and the other official are just kind of sitting back, but They started talking about uh, other NBA player and like, are they going to come here when their contract's up? And then they were talking about who's sitting where on the plane. And Jake literally was one of those moments. I'm like, these guys are roughly my age, right? Like I'm 26, 27 at the time. They're my age. The only difference is they have a really cool job and they make a little bit more money, but (laughs) they're talking about the same stuff that me and my buddies talk about. And I'm like, these guys are no different. And it literally from that moment forward, I don't understand. Well, let me take that back. I understand how people can put athletes and prospects on a pedestal because you see them in a different light. I've been fortunate enough in what I did as a hobby for 18 years. They're human beings. They go to Starbucks. They worry about their kids. They watch Netflix. They argue about stupid stuff. And that was really a light bulb moment for me. And then to tie in the intimidation thing and beliefs, when you start to understand, and, and I'll do training seminars now, and I, I write a big zero on the board, that's how many beliefs we're born with. We are not born with one single belief. As like I've got a five-month-old in the other room. She has no belief. And the science, correct me if I'm wrong, I think up until you're about eight is really when everything kind of gets formed in your belief system. But it's coaches, it's mentors, it's parents, it's everything external and so that's how you shape your beliefs anything if you're listening to this right now in your car whenever this comes out or at your house or you're working out everything that you believe right now you are choosing to believe whether consciously or subconsciously but the benefit of that is you can change those beliefs right now if you want to it's a choice and so i always tell people everything that you believe and then there's some self-limiting belief again one of the two reasons I got into, into coaching is limiting self-beliefs. And there's about eight questions that I, I ask people of like, what stands in your way? And I'll just give you a couple of them. Like what stands in the way right now of you and whatever goal you're trying to achieve? All those thoughts in your head, who put them there? If you chose to believe it, can't you choose to change that thought? And then finally, if you don't change your own self-learning beliefs, who will? I think those are really powerful to just to get us to start thinking about the thoughts in our head, because we can't control the thoughts that pop in our head, but we choose where the conversation goes from there. And so I think if you, once you can understand and start controlling those self-limiting beliefs and understand that you aren't born with any, and you can choose those, the sky's the limit.
0: Yeah, a man. And and that also makes me want to preface for all of our listeners that are parents, the (laughs) incredible importance of how we talk to our kids and the beliefs that we reinforce with them. And, and we've talked about it time and time again on the show, but especially one, we're huge proponents of youth sports because of the power of sports and the lessons it teach, but the importance of the car ride and the conversation around process instead of outcome. And it's very easy. And there's a lot of us that have grown up and we heard about outcome and the hits we got and the runs we scored and the points we scored. And, Oh, that was awesome. But it creates different beliefs in our heads. And we become very fixated on outcome. And like we talked about at the beginning of the show, tying our self worth to outcome, which can be a very dangerous slope and identity into sport versus process of how hard you worked, how great of a teammate you are. We saw how you encouraged people. We saw how you didn't sulk, um, All of those things that just create massive dividends in life when the kid adopts those beliefs. We all have those beliefs. And just like you pointed out, any day we have the opportunity to draw a line in the sand and change the story we're writing, the beliefs that we have. It's not overnight, but it is over time. And it all starts with the first choice. So heavily, heavily want to echo that. Uh, a message that Tommy just shared, because it's true. We can change it. We can change how we show up. And and it's incredible what happens when you start changing how you talk to yourself and you start changing your choices and whether you fully believe it or not at first, you just keep doing it every day. Like we talked about with motivation and coffee offline. Like you just keep every single day drinking a little bit more, drinking a little bit more until you start to believe it. And so uh, it's incredibly powerful. The the ability and the power we have to change our lives. So I love hearing that, man. This has been such a fun conversation. I'm so excited uh, that we got to have it. I'm so grateful for you making time for it today for our listeners that need to follow along with your work and perhaps want to get connected to learn more about some of your coaching and programs. Where's the best places to get connected with you?
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. So website, thinkbetterperformbetter.com. Uh, Instagram, same, same handle, think better, perform better. And then LinkedIn, uh, and I created this a couple of years ago before I the think better, perform better came about, but the handle is mindset is everything. So you can either find me there or just Tommy short, um, on LinkedIn.
0: Man, you uh, you snagged the early one, which is what I love. The I mindset did. is everything. It determines all sorts of things, how you show up, how you, how you do life. Uh, and so I love that. So yeah, go on, get connected with him. Uh, you'll see opportunities on his website to learn more about his speaking, his coaching program. See if it's a great fit for you. He does work with executive sales teams. And of course, his band of brothers and sisters in the referee community. So, uh, Tommy, man, thank you for joining us on the Compete Every Day podcast this week. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Every Day podcast. To get in touch with the team, drop us an email to podcast at And to find out more about our resources, content, and gear that will help you build that winning mindset so you better compete for your best life, Visit CompeteEveryDay.com.